Stephanie, uh, are you going to swear this week? Probably. Liel? I swear I probably will. All right. Well, you, you have it straight from the mouths of babes. Uh, um, please don't call Liel yeah, a babe. That's very that objectifying. He of, does not yeah, like that. Kind of harassing. Straight me. from the mouths of marathon finishing, cat owning. Yes. Sweater normative podcast host that there may be obscenities. So you may want to send the kids out of the room. So hold on. So you're, you're so what you're saying here is that you have like a weird fantasy life that involves like <laughs> cockapoos and like oh my god, if no. only you were a hypoallergenic. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Archie's all the dog I oh need. My. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. Though I was just at the General Assembly where somebody queried me on that. I was at the, the Jewish Federations of North America General Assembly. Someone said, do you really know that you're the, like, what What about this like, podcast from- Excuse me, are you really the world's leading <laughs> Jewish podcast? Because metrics show that there is a yeah. podcast in Israel that has 300 that was exactly more- it. It was exactly it. There's some something in Israel. Well, like, to be fair, Israel story, might, which we love. But but to me, when you say the world's leading, to me, that's obviously hyperbolic. It's qualitative as well as quantitative. And didn't you say you were just going to say it and see if anyone yeah. pushed back on yeah. it? And you yes. were at, you were asked this question by objectively think. the world's most boring man <laughs> or woman, most yeah. annoying human being. <laughs> anyway, right. I'm going to keep saying it, and they can come for us if they have a problem. I'm your host, Markenheimer. Joined this week by Tablet senior writer Leah Leibowitz. Hello. And deputy editor Stephanie Butnick. Good day. This week, our Jew, besides us, our Jew of the week, our special uh, Yud of the week is the great Eddie Portnoy, whose new book is so good. It's called Bad Rabbi and Other Strange But True Stories from the Yiddish Press. And it's... It's got that seedy underbelly of... And of if I may, that... Eddie's hair puts mine. your hair and mine to shame. What about Mine. I think he might. I think he will be the finest-haired individual in the room today. Our Gentile of the Week is Washington Post religion reporter Sarah Pulliam Bailey, who's a, f- a favorite of mine. I've followed her stuff for years. She was raised super evangelical. I don't know if she would ascribe to that, but that's how I... Um Stereotyper, but she's but she works for the vast liberal media conspiracy. Oh, super evangelical, like super it's, evangelical, like it's Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, <laughs> extra. It's like the new the new game. There were capes yeah. involved, uh, but she now works for the liberal media conspiracy at the Washington Post. So we're excited to have her as well. But first, uh, some news of us. What's with your voice? You talk too much. Uh, yeah, I well, two transcontinental flights uh, across to the GA in Los Angeles. One done at five a.m. on Friday. The other red eyed back. Sunday night. Wow. It's, and then I talked the whole time in between. And on the flight too. I and on I the imagine. flight. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> You're like, some person sitting next to me, I'd like to tell you about my experience. I hope I get nodules or nodes like the rock stars so I can go in for surgery. Like I'm pitch perfect. Yeah, I have nodes. I have nodes. And be out of commission for a while. And, well, and that is how wish. I feel when like that scene of I have nodes is me. Because I, I, I don't, I haven't, haven't really told you this. I have nasal polyps for like the past, <laughs> it's been discovered recently. And so it means I get sick very often. I have these like lingering colds that last like a month and I feel congested. I feel awful. Um, I'm actually getting sinus surgery and par- this Friday. So the day after this episode airs, I will be going under general anesthesia. General? Yeah. I've never done it before. Oh, I have. I've done it before. <laughs> that recreational general <laughs> anesthesia. So, yeah. Yeah. So, but part of it. I hope it's a leading ear, nose and throat doctor. Oh, I hope it's, oh it's, yes. It's, his, his Yelp reviews are wonderful. Jewish, I hope. No. What? You're going to get a, a Gentile Dr. operator. Dr. Prasad is very, very highly recommended. Oh, Prasad. Okay. Prasad, Prasad is the new Cohen. That's We're fine. fine. <laughs> um, as long as it's not Smith writer McGillicuddy So when I was meeting with him, you guys, he was like, oh, yeah, and so then we're going to do this. We're going to we're gonna fix your deviated septum because it's p- pressing down on something and there's an air pocket. And I was like, I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> He's like, your deviated septum. And I was like, like, that's a real thing? I was like, that's real? <laughs> we, should, we should explain for our Gentile listeners so the significance. It's a euphemism, essentially, right. that like Rachel from Friends had a deviated septum and then got a nose job. Right. But when a hear- teenage girl goes in for her deviated septum, she comes out. With a different nose. With a different nose. She's precious. Do you ever worry that she's going to get your real nose? <laughs> Amy. <gasps> yes, I do. I really do. And so for me, at age 30, to suddenly hear I have a deviated septum <laughs> is quite bittersweet. Um, and I also said, so wait, what? Like, what? We'll talk about this like on the nose job episode, I think. Because I'm essentially getting a non-nose job. Right. And I said, well, are you, is that going to change my nose? And he's like, no, I tell everyone for better or for worse, you're going to look exactly the same as you did before. And then I'm like, so it's all a lie? <laughs> and he's like, I can't have this conversation with you right now. I'm like really busy. <laughs> but I'm so fascinated if even a plastic surgeon can fix a deviated septum because that's on the inside. 
Anyway, we'll see. Though Be- beauty is on the inside. Though plastic surgery nose jobs, I recently learned, they do go in through the inside, they right? Do. I always wondered, how do they not have scars? How do they suture gonna, it up so perfectly? I think it's done from the inside. I, but I'm essentially getting like an anti-nose job. An anti-nose job. <laughs> They're going to fix everything After on your nose. all this time. <laughs> well, I'm like, guys, I'm comfortable with myself now. It's fine. You know, I think our listeners deserve the truth. The truth is that Stephanie has gotten too big for the podcast. <laughs> She's moving on to, to <laughs> NPR. Oh, NPR. And TV. Uh, and I need and, to get my polyps and, out. And we just need like someone else, but we're doing this thing that they do in soap operas. Like, oh, look, the character had like an accident. Is she going to die? In the oh, I'm dying in surgery. Thank She's you. Dying That's in good. Surgery. No, no, no. What I mean is you'll come back and you'll sound completely different. Oh, I'll be like the new. Like, oh, it's because surgery's like, It'll be like, Dana, Hi, I'm Stephanie Botnick. <laughs> Here in the studio. I'm actually, How are you Gilbert doing? Godfried, I'm coming back as. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be I am Stephanie Botman. I'm requesting that voice. I have nothing to touch uh, any of this except to say that I was at the General Assembly of the Jewish Federations of North America, the GA of the JFNA in Los Angeles, uh, which was just great. I just want to give a shout out to the the fans who came up to me there. Um, Leah Paz, whom we've given a shout out to on our show, oh, was yeah. there. Uh, and Keith Kravitsky from, uh, from Jersey. Uh, gave me a nice handshake when I was in line for um, an espresso at the little coffee bar. So he and recognized you. He, he, my voice or me, or maybe my name tagged, if I'm going to be quite frank. <laughs> um, anyway, so shout outs to the people, to the unorthodox fans, the J crew who, who were at the GA. It was it was a lot of fun. So away from the GA of the JFNA and into news of the Jews. Uh, Allie Raisman was on 60 Minutes the other night uh, talking about how she was, like many other American female gymnasts, uh, sexually abused by Dr. Larry Nasser, who may be one of the worst people in the world. Uh, and we just want to give a shout out to tremendous Jewess and and gymnast as well, Ali Raisman, and and just thank her for the courage it took to talk about that. Um, from good people to very bad people, Czech Member of Parliament Yaroslav Stanik uh, said just casually, just in passing, you know, that Jews, gays, and Roma should all be gassed. So thanks for letting us know that um, evil still walks the earth. You want to speaking of evil? The, I'm sorry, I'm starting news the Jews with all this horrible stuff, but yeah. it's it's been a bad week. There was a an English woman, a British unlike, woman, unlike every other week, which is so cheery. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to. Keep this it real week here. had assholes who hate the Jews. Yeah. Last night, Sid and I were watching This Is Us, the most tear-jerking show on television. Does either of you watch that? Of no. course not. It's so good. Yep. Um, and I was kind of also looking at News of the Jews. And This Is Us already has you prepped to sob about everything. It's such a – it's so manipulative. And so I was already probably a little teary. And then I come across this headline that we were going to talk about, the 70-year-old Jewish woman who was hospitalized with a concussion because she was bashed in the head or her head was bashed into a wall by an assailant who yelled out Jid, which is Polish for Jew. And I was just like, 70-year-old woman? I just started sobbing. I was like, like, really? Find a 70-year-old woman and smash her head into a wall? I mean, because the record was, you know, better earlier on? Like babies no. were, were nicer no, talking? I know, I know. It, just, it is messed up because a seven-year-old woman has like seen a lot of things when it comes to anti-Semitism. And this is in London, right? Right. In the UK? Right, it's in the UK. to me just extra sad. I agree. Also, I just felt like, you know what, asshole? Come for me next time. You can bash my... Well, you and I can sort this out. Yeah, but like, come for leave, me too. Leave grandma now, alone. if only there was a device that <laughs> was a great equalizer that a, a 70-year-old woman could keep in her purse and then, you know, whip out... A pepper, life alert? Pepper spray? When, when attacked... And put three uh, three holes in her assailant. You want seventy year olds to puncher? be packing? I want men, women, and children to carry heat. Did I think you... every Jew older than four <laughs> should be armed. Did you watch I mean Broad City because you would really literally. like the Florida episode? No, I, I'm I'm three episodes. Which is, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. But and was that Fran Flo- Drescher's on it? Was this the Florida episode or the Florida? It's episode? Florida. I think actually technically it's the Florida, it's episode. Florida episode. Is Fran Drescher carrying? No, yes. but basically everyone else is. That's it's amazing. She shocking and with hilarious. With that voice, she's she doesn't need a gun. She's no, carrying sorry. her voice is her carrying. Uh, Blossom is coming to Hulu for those of you who were big fans of Mayim Bialik uh, back when she was twelve. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds super creeps. That's but, yeah, not what but, I meant. Yeah. I have to say, I, I never, think Roy Moore listens to the show. I was show, not Mark. going Roy Moore. I, I was going Mayim Bialik. She just announced on Twitter that um, her sitcom is finally going to be streaming for those who want I to catch say, up. I never watched Blossom, and I only sort of know Mayim as in her like later resurgence as scientist, activist, everything else. So for me, I'm like maybe I should just watch Blossom. I, I will miss say, it. So do, did you get Blossom in Israel? We did. Okay, so it involved a Jew. Of course, we got <laughs> of course it. <laughs> Right, her parents are Israeli, I believe. Uh, are they? Yeah, I think her parents are actual. Her name is Mayim, so right. she gets her Mayim, last name Mayim, is Mayim, 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 Mayim
Uh, new FBI stats say that we're still number one when it comes to being victims of hate crimes. <laughs> of what all, kind of week are you having? Yeah, of, all, of all religions targeted in 2016, we led. We were subject to 54.4% of hate crime attacks in 2016, according to the FBI stats. We should say that the Take greatest, that, Zoroastrians. That's right. We should say that face the, the Muslims are catching up. I mean, well, they, they were the fastest growing they were population. The fastest growing population, but well. they are not going to catch us. Yeah, to them we say, you will not replace us. <laughs> I have to say, though, these do We are hated by Americans. Get your own people to these, hate you. These That's studies right. read like those emails of like, they're only 2% of the population, but Jews are attacked <laughs> most of all. It's like, why? Did you know? <laughs> they have 47% of Nobel Prizes in physics, but 54% of Mark, hate crimes. You went to Los Angeles, a very sunny, happy place, and came back like a super depressed person, so depressed. full of just like so the worst news. You should never be allowed wait, to leave the, wait, the East Coast. It gets worse. Prince Charles, it turns out. My goodness. The Daily Mail reports, uh, they dug up, it didn't say how, an old letter from... 1986. What is that? In which uh, a letter or 1986? Both. Okay. In which he's a Taylor Swift, a Taylor Swift prequel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Album. You too. Uh, Prince Charles suggested that quote the influx of foreign European Jews unquote was a cause of turmoil in the Middle East and that the United States president had a responsibility to quote take on the Jewish lobby. He wrote quote I now appreciate that Arabs and Jews were all Semitic peoples originally and it is the influx of foreign European Jews especially from Poland they say which has helped to cause great problems. Surely some U.S. president has to have the courage to stand up and take on the Jewish lobby in the U.S. I must be naive, I suppose. I am a huge fan of the P.G. Wodehouse, you know, Jeeves and Wooster books. Yeah. The entire letter <laughs> reads exactly like Bertie Wooster. It's Wooster. It. It's like, oh, old pal, I was reading the Koran on my flight <laughs> to Saudi Arabia and pip pip tally ho, wouldn't you know that the Jews came from Poland? Right. Jolly good. I like this. It's like it's this, so this surge amazing. of Jews coming from Eastern Europe. And it's In like this influx. And you're like, oh, yes, <laughs> this influx know? of Jews willingly leaving. <laughs> Eastern Europe. Well, it's also like he hadn't gotten the memo because, of course, he's not out and about. And so it's 19, 1986. And he hears the Jewish population is bigger than it was in my childhood. So that's and right. he's like, what happened? What like, happened? Why did they all Were leave any members one of my place? family sympathetic to the Nazis? <laughs> Maybe. And I feel like I liked Prince Charles. I mean, this is a while ago. We all changed. But he opened, I think, in 2008, the the. JCC in Krakow, which is like one of the best places and run by a really cool guy, John, so, well, Jonathan Ornstein. Well, and he Jews was there. Prince Charles was there with <laughs> well, the whatever Polish her name Jews. is. Camilla. So he's grown. He's grown with Camilla Parker he like, Bowles. He like, yeah. So it's a funny story about Camilla Parker Bowles. Yes, um, please. Uh, what's the company? So Crate, no one Crate, and Barrel, Crate and Barrel sells a set of... of said, said Princess Diana. Are they Camilla bowls? <laughs> no, they're Parker bowls. <laughs> so Crate and Barrel sells a set of nested China bowls that, you know, are good for serving roasted broccoli, pasta, whatever. And we ordered some a number of years ago. And they're called the Parker bowls. So what else we call them the Camilla Parker bowls? Uh, well, and, and on that <laughs> note... never fails to crack me I up. would say to, to, you know, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales, anyone who wears bowler hats on a regular basis in the year 2017, unironically... Yeah shouldn't have opinions period so, about anything I was just this whole thing made me wonder like what was his tutoring like because I don't think he went to Eaton or Harrow I think he was stuck with like Mrs. McGillicuddy tutoring him and she was like our subject today will be polo uh, <laughs> and Poland and, and backgammon but there was no world religions uh, hour folding in- a pocket square <laughs> begin <laughs> He should take a trip to Indonesia, where we also learned this week that a museum has a wax figure of Adolf Hitler set against a backdrop of Auschwitz-Birkenau, where visitors can take Hitler selfies. Damata, a waxwork and visual effects museum in Yogyakarta, has had this up since 2014. The owner of it, or the, the guy who runs it, the museum's marketing officer, told the Associated Press, nobody's complained. Most of our visitors are just having fun because they know it's just an entertainment museum. Jews are not amused. I have to say, so in this museum, there's Hitler, and next to him on one side is Darth Vader, and on the other <laughs> side is the Indonesian president. That's about so right. So it's like, what? And there's like, Obama's in there. I mean... I think the problem is it's like this like triumphant looking Hitler where he We won. Yeah. And you're like, oh cool. I don't know. I mean so to it's me, like, I'm just it's like, like swagger Hitler. Yeah, he's in front of the Arbeit Arbeit Machbrai sign and Oh Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> he's flashing gang signs. He's like, Whoa, this what? This goes back to one of the things I said on our first show, or on one of our first shows where I said I don't like museums. And I got all <laughs> that mail and I was like, see, this like one day it's the mat and okay, it's like this the is Egyptian why we can't room, have nice things. But when the Indonesians get hold of it, it's like hey, one day you're looking at the Mona Lisa, the very next it's Hitler selfie. selfies with Hitler. That's exactly right. Is he in that? Adam Tussauds. Slippery slope. Is that how you say that? I believe he is. But Hitler? it's a sad, dejected looking Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. It's not someone you're yeah. selfieing with. Yeah, you can't no. do triumphant Hitler. No. 
Um, I also think he might be giving a Nazi salute in the picture. Oh, God. Do you want to put so your, it's nice you can kind of get, get under, under it. Arm. I was just thinking that yeah. you can sort of get it. He's putting his arm around you. Can or like we put like a yo-yo on his finger and can have a lot a of fun. fidget spinner. Um, and finally, Kim Kardashian has invested in a fashion app started by Orthodox Jews from Jerusalem and Brooklyn. Finally, some good news. This finally, week. some I good mean, news. Liel, you flagged this one for us. I think this is. I think this is a you know our senior Kardashian <laughs> correspondent <laughs> Stephanie Budnick's territory. What oh, is so this, this app? Is where you actually write about the Kardashians all the more time. Than anyone. I'm completely so the obsessed app with is her. basically like Shazam for clothes. So if I see like you wearing this shirt, or maybe it's something on a mannequin somewhere, but I can like open the app, take a picture of it, and all of a sudden it'll offer me like several different other options of items that match it, of items like it. The funniest thing about this story is <laughs> they interviewed. The guy who, by all accounts, sounds like a really lovely, talented guy. He's some, you know, some Haredi guy from Jerusalem. And he said something like, well, you know, Kim isn't just an ambassador of the brand and an investor. She's really involved in the brand. Turns turns out she knows a lot about marketing. <laughs> I was like, Yoso, like, dude, dude. <laughs> you know? Dude. The last 10 years have been a pretty strong suggestion yeah, that that was the case. You need to get out of yeshiva, my friend. But I love how he was like so like... Oh wow, that that wonderful that person. Armenian girl, she, that little Armenian had, girl <laughs> with the big butt. She <laughs> had a statement that was like, you know, and it's so great that we have this t- amazing technology coming from Israel and all this great technology. And I'm like, yep, yep. Can I just say my right. Middle East peace plan? And I'm now. I know Trump has been in the news trying to rejigger yes, the peace plan. He's writing one right now with I, his own pen. I think it needs to revolve, and I am not joking right now. It needs to revolve heavily around Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. We are excited to announce Tablet's first ever essay competition, First Personal. Our editors are looking for previously unpublished work by writers living in North America who have never written for Tablet before. They are seeking submissions on the theme of belonging. Where do you feel at home or no longer at home, physically, spiritually, or culturally? How do you find community or a sense that you're a part of something larger than yourself? Are there places where you feel a sense of belonging or alienation or both? Tablet is seeking personal essays about your life and your experiences and how your thoughts and feelings have evolved over time. Tablet editors will review all submissions and choose their favorite five, which they will edit with the writers. The authors of those five pieces will be brought to New York City to read their story in front of a live audience. A guest judge will then select the winner. The winning essay will be published in Tablet and the winner will receive $500. For more information and to submit your essay, please visit tabletmag.com slash essay contest. Our Jewish guest this week is Eddie Portnoy from the YIVO Institute for Jewish Research. He's an expert in all things Jewish pop culture, and his new book, Bad Rabbi, minds the strange but true stories from the Yiddish press. Eddie, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having me. You big Yid. <laughs> I'm actually kind of a short Yid. But you, you know what I mean. That's yeah, actually yeah. a short Yid, hair. but you're a big Yid. <laughs> it, gives yeah. you, it gives you the... Persona. So right. I'm happy to have you here in person because like I've I've known about you for a while. We've corresponded on email. You've contributed to Tablet. I always sort of imagine you like deep in the archives of Yivo. Like I don't I, like the idea that you're an actual person who is here now is very strange to me. I always thought it was a pen name. It was like, let's find Eddie the most Portnoy. Jewish name we can. Well, the, I know it'll be funny. We'll take the last name Portnoy, but he's like, obviously, Eddie Schwarzfeld from Hoboken. Right, right. You know, yeah. Oddly enough, Portnoy is not that uncommon of a name. Yeah, of course not. I don't know any Portnoys except you. It's if you look at the phone book, which yeah. I guess no one looks in the phone book. <laughs> That's right, but, uh, you know, if you look online, there are plenty of Portnoys. My parents' best friends are the Portnoys. One of their best friends. I don't want to Yeah, actually, there, there's, there are a few more Edward Portnoy's. One's a dentist in Queens. Nice. There's an Edward Portnoy who's like a gastroenterologist in California. Nice. Uh, of course. There Eddie Portnoy is very different than Edward Portnoy, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's your real name you're saying. No, no. It's, uh, it's Edward. It, it's, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, Portnoy. Oh, Portnoy. Portnoy. Yes. <laughs> you no, seem no to it's be, not. You seem to be one of the, uh, we could talk about your name all day. And yeah, your hair. It's, it's, and your hair all day. This is that <laughs> His kind hair of is very Alice in Chains. Can you describe it for our listeners? I don't, don't know, that know that I can. what Alice in it's Chains is. It's grunge hair circa 1991. It's sort of, I Here guess. Here he is now to entertain us. It's like Rockstar Monkey. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. It's like I woke up like this. Yeah, type, I, I, type of hair. Then he put some shaving cream through it. All right, volume. guys. Let's. <laughs> how does uh, how does one get to where you are? It seems to me like such an amazing niche of like mining all these lost treasures of Yiddish culture. Was this always an obsession? And I mean, your book, you your book, we should say, is like crazy amazing, tales from amazing, the Yiddish amazing. press. It's like 
like gamblers, whores, abortion doctors, circus sideshow freaks from the Yiddish press, 1890 to 1920 ish. Right. Yeah. Thereabouts. 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 Yeah. How do you get obsessed with that stuff? Uh, it's not really clear. I guess I always been attracted to unusual things. And uh, when I got into Jewish studies, uh, that sort of attraction remained. So, uh, you know, when I began to read the Yiddish press, I would really just stumble across these things. I mean, I could actually explain if you want how, you know, how I found some of them. Yeah. Um, just as an example, I discovered a whole cache of material on Jews involved in professional wrestling in Poland before World War II. Uh, by, my dissertation was on cartoons of the Yiddish press. So I trolled the Yiddish press, obviously, for cartoons. And in the mid-1920s, I began to find cartoons uh, that used wrestling as a metaphor. You know, for example, it would show two cantors that were vying for a post at a big synagogue in the wrestling ring, or two heads of Yiddish school systems in the wrestling ring. And I thought that's, you know, sort of a stock metaphor, but, you know, what does wrestling you right. know, mean Why is to, that a mean, thing for them? Right, yeah. well, you know, what does it mean to Jews in, in Warsaw? So, you know, in 1925. So I began to look through the back pages of the papers where they have the results of sporting events. And once in a while, I'd come across, you know, the Jewish wrestler, you know, beat, so-and-so and the notes about the Jewish wrestling. As I looked more and more, I began to discover articles about these people and they were celebrities among Jews in Poland. And it was really kind of a big affair. They would pack the Warsaw Circus for the, you know, for the matches. Interestingly enough, the, um, uh, the bulk of the Jewish audience that would go to wrestling matches was comprised of Hasidim. Um, and uh, when the Jewish wrestler was in trouble, some of the journalists wrote, uh, the Hasidim would all stand up and, and sing psalms. Uh, <laughs> Which, uh, you know, sort of the most Jewish response to, uh, you know, what you, you know, to your wrestler who's in trouble. Oh, my God. Uh, and the cover of your book is, in fact, Blimp Levy. Right. With the, right. the 600 pounds or six to 700. They, they couldn't find scales. Back in those days when that right. was an abnormal weight, they couldn't find scales to, to tell how big he actually was. Well, kind of looks like me a lot, I would <laughs> say. Just, this, by the way, this is actually what I decided Eddie Portnoy looked like. The cover of his book is Blimp Levy, who is maybe the ugliest man no, excuse Blim, me. Blim, 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 he's adorable. He's a handsome guy. <laughs> All right, all <laughs> seven hundred pounds. And I have a question for you. We've 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 lost so much. It seems to me with you know advent of Google and the internet of of, of this art that you're describing of just you know sitting in the archive, pouring over the press. Is is this something that's ever coming back? Do, do you get young students who don't even know? Where to look? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, when you're starting out in this field and you you want to research something, I mean, like I said, I found a lot of things by accident. So, just as another example, um, when I was looking for cartoons in the Yiddish press in the Warsaw uh, dailies, cartoons only appeared on Fridays. So I would sit at the microfilm reader and turn the dial and you know try to zip from Friday to Friday. And one time I landed on a Thursday. And the headline that I landed on was uh, Two Wives, Blazing Punches, and the Police. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. I'll, you're like, I'll, I'll, Magusta, I'll read this. Right, I'll, write, I'll, <laughs> I'll read it. So it turned out to be an article about this uh, Hasidic guy who fell in love with his wife's best friend, married her, set her up in an apartment outside of town, and shuttled between the two women, telling the first wife that he was away on business. And his brother found out about it, set up uh, an appointment at the rabbinical court, uh, dragged him there. At the rabbinical court, there were 30 members of the first wife's family. And uh, when the rabbis announced that he had divorced both women, his brother ran over to him, punched him in the face. The 30 members of the first wife's family jumped on the second wife. <laughs> the rabbis ran out. The shamas called the police and uh, arrested everyone and took them in, and took them to jail. What so, you're saying is that Jews used to be fun. Yeah. Jews, Jews used to be a lot of fun. They were yeah. very, your very is, exciting Your people. book is filled with riots. Yes, like there's yes. The, there's the Hasidic, <laughs> I'm trying to remember, what's the funeral where they turn up and- All right, yeah. right. That's the, that's the, um, uh, the Miss Judea pageant. Uh, that's, that's right. The, that's the denouement of, so the, of the Miss Judea pageant. The Polish pageant. newspaper decided they were going to like, like have a pageant for, they were going to find the hottest Jewish woman. And so the Polish right. newspaper got a, and it was judged by Jewish journalists. Right. Oh so, well, well, it's, well, there, it's the Polish Jewish newspaper. There was, it's, it's, uh, Oh, I thought it was, I misread no, that. Right, I thought it was it, the Polish newspaper. Right. It's, no. it's a Polish Jewish daily. Okay. Um, but from the perspective of the, the Yiddish press, the right. Polish Jewish daily is, um, is Goyesh, right, basically. exactly. Yeah, okay. exactly. Right. And then and then at the there was a rabbi who like dropped dead, the super ultra orthodox rabbi. Right. And they blamed the guy who organized the, well, the more, pageant. More or less. I mean, they were still mad at him from uh, from having having uh actually it wasn't that he organized the pageant, it was that he read the 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 winner, the Song of Songs. <laughs> 
And so there was a riot at the funeral. Right. (laughs) So why was the Yiddish press so obsessed with like the failings of its community and just the... the, the, It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that they were so obsessed with the failings of the community. It's it's that I'm so obsessed with the failings (laughs) of the community. Yeah, that was my next question. Because when you're, you're, you know, the Yiddish press is a whole universe and you don't just have, you know, stories of failure. You have all kinds of stories. You have, it's like any newspaper. You have international, local national news, you've, you've, you know, literature, crossword puzzles, you know, anything you can imagine that newspapers have. It's just that this element of Jewish life has never really been approached by scholars or really anybody else. You, you'll you find some of it in literature. Isaac Babel will have, you know, will have written about poor Jewish gangsters or Isaac Pesheva Singer will have scenes on Krochmalna Street, which is one of the poorest neighborhoods in Warsaw. You know, when you're in Jewish studies, what you find is uh, that it's a very conservative field, that uh, the focus tends to be on traditional figures, scholars, rabbis, writers, artists. Um, You know, there's been... Very elitist, if you will. It is. I mean, there's a lot of social history also, but all the social history is upwardly mobile. So having dealt with that for many years and having seen that there's so much of this life in the Yiddish press that hasn't been explored, I thought this is, you know, a really compelling topic. This is, you know, the Amcha. This is the, you know, the the common rabble that uh, nobody really knows anything about. And it was just really appealing to me. And so what what do we need to do to to make to make Jewish press great again? Oh, I mean, um, you know what, tablet, you know what, I know what advice do you have for other publications could that, it be that this are not fun again? Us? It could it be this fun again? It um, we, just we don't have enough people, people. We don't have right? enough I mean, horrors, I think, you know, these days. And I don't pro know, wrestlers. We have we have a lot of we have a lot of horrible things going on. Um, yeah, but they're like financial crimes. They're yeah, like it's, dumb. They're, they're not, not as interesting. Fun. You know, I think I think at a certain level you have to have an amcha. You have to have you know a common rabble, and I mean that's something you have in Israel. Uh, right. You 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 don't have it as much here. Um, you know, another aspect to this is Yiddish. Uh, the Yiddish press is uh, in a way very intimate. Uh, the the stories are written often as uh, as if you know friends are telling friends or relatives are telling a story to one another. Um, you know, in in even in crime stories, you'll you'll hear uh, you know victims and perpetrators you know right. talked about as Moishele and Yosele and like they uh-huh. you know they don't it's like they're, un, they're you know they mention their real names at the beginning right. but then they talk about them like they know them <laughs> right. uh, and maybe they do. It's uh, you know it, it's it's all about being part of a smaller more cohesive community and also another interesting aspect to this is that the Yiddish press in a way is like a private conversation. Uh, you know because we've you know no one else can read it. Right exactly because we've we've let that go and everything's in English, you know now David Duke can read our our articles and 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 flip out and and that you know makes us flip out. So it's uh, you know having that private. You know, there's something to be said about having that uh, having that private conversation. So if we were all to learn Yiddish, mm. uh, it would be enormously valuable culturally. But that would be prioritizing like the Ashkenaz experience, and we would then say. Mm. Then only well, listen. The Ashkenazi, yeah, right. Yeah. You, you, you know, you could have other. You know, I'm not opposed to multilingualism. You know, we can learn Ladino too. But I just feel like this. What what we didn't see in your book is what we see now, which is like this, like the whole like Shonda Fertigoyim, like the idea that we. Bad stories about Jews right, reflect badly on all Jews. No one could read this shit. But right. in, in the it's Yiddish press and what, these stories, they're crazy stories and they're so rich and vibrant. But we wouldn't, you wouldn't see them today because the idea is like, oh, we, why would we write him? He's bad. We don't want other people to know that there right. are bad Jews. We'll get Robert right. De Niro to play him, <laughs> you know? Or Joe Montaigne. Or Joe Montaigne, right. So obviously, if there are all of these, you know, gangsters and hustlers and and pimps and whores and everything, some of them had children who had children who are our parents, right? And nobody right, talks. Nobody talks about like great grandma tricking on the side. And so, you know, everyone great grandma was like the pioneer who founded Hadassah in her neighborhood, and her uncle was the chief rabbi of Vienna, right? Speak it's like for yourself. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean. You know, so is there just a massive conspiracy of lies for all of us who are descended from, you know, pimps, whores, and hustlers? Well, listen, I think that, you know, these are things that obviously embarrass people. Uh, you know, no one wants to know that Bobby turned tricks, um, <laughs> you know, or that, or that Zane. Which, by the way, is the title of Eddie Portnoy's next book, <laughs> Bobby Turned Tricks, Another Family it's Story. A children, it's a children's book. No, right? it's, the, it's the TV it's adaptation. It's the TV adaptation. Right. Or, you know, or that, you know, Zadie was a pickpocket. Like, you know, you know, it's, it's, uh, we do certain things to improve our pedigrees. And one of them is hiding things like this. A couple of years ago at Yivo, I did an exhibit called Yiddish Fight Club uh, that uh, 
showed uh, Jewish professional wrestlers and boxers surrounded by um, a huge lexicon and list of uh, phrases in Yiddish that have to do with fighting. Uh, that was actually part of Yivo's first linguistics publication. Uh, but one of the interesting things about it was after the exhibit launched, I had all kinds of people coming to Yivo and calling me and emailing me and sending me pictures of their relatives who were professional wrestlers and boxers. And they would say, you know, it was, I never had a, you know, a, a venue to talk about the fact that my great uncle was a, was a, a wrestler or, uh, or that my grandfather was a boxer. It's really kind of an interesting element of our component of Jewish history where, you know, people have all of these uh, interesting components of their past and they just don't know how to talk about it. So, Eddie, before we let you go, what is your favorite story in this book? What surprised you the most? Uh, you know, I have to say that nothing really surprises me in the Yiddish press. It's just this cavalcade of lunacy. Uh, but, you know, one of the stories I like the most is the story you mentioned before, the Miss Judea pageant, uh, because it involves... Uh, Every precinct of the Jewish community, you have the, you know, the Polish, you know, so-called assimilators, they're Polish-speaking Jews. You have, uh, you know, the Yiddish press, you have the um, uh, the ultra-Orthodox, you have the Hasidim, you have, you know, sort of extremists at all sides converging and, you know, kind of exploding at the end. And it's really, uh, <laughs> it, it's really, you know, sort of, it's, it's a nice story. There's beauty pageant, there's death, there's riots, it has everything. Everything, yeah. Eddie, thank you so much for being here. Our listeners can get Bad Rabbi and other strange but true stories from the Yiddish press anywhere, I think, books and... Fine and books. Fine books. We're fine and the Yiddish books. press yeah. are yeah. sold. You know, maybe not at Eichler's, but, uh, <laughs> you know. Now, maybe you can get it at Eichler's. Eddie, thank you so much. All right, thank you, guys. Our Gentile of the Week is the... Um, you're is really gentilic. I mean, is Sarah Pulliam Bailey, who is a religion reporter and editor for the Washington Post. First of all, anyone with two last names is automatically like five points. Automatically, on the scale. yeah, on. yeah. That's that's extra gentile points. But also, you went to Wheaton College, not the former ladies' college in Massachusetts, where fine preppy girls could go for finishing, uh, but the the <laughs> one that has the Billy Graham archives. Right. I mean, the real. The real Wheaton. Right. They the call real... it the evangelical Harvard. I love, that you, I love that you guys call it that. You know, Harvard doesn't think of themselves as the no. secular Wheaton. No, but they should. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, it's really Jesus-y there. Yeah. And you were homeschooled with 18 siblings, right? <laughs> Close. I had five siblings, but yes, I was homeschooled. Yeah. But the really interesting thing, so Sarah and I were, I wouldn't say competitors, but I was writing religion for the Times when you were writing religion for the Washington Post. And um, I always admired her work a lot. And but but also, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to have you on the show. One is that you're a terrific reporter and you're paying attention to the national religious scene in a way that those of us ghettoized in our little behind our Jewish wall are not necessarily. <laughs> but also like you are, you know, you're that mythical creature of the Christian in a newsroom. And so, you know, we're, he we're have you here to prove that they exist. Right. Oh, dear. OK. Well, it's funny being a religion reporter. I feel you know, slightly uncomfortable when religion, my own faith background comes up. Because yeah, I've just I want, outed I want you. It, no, I don't mind. Like, <laughs> I'm happy to talk about it. But I, you know, when it comes up, I want to be like anyone of any religious background of no religious background can be a good religion reporter. It's kind of like sports. You know, you don't have to play to be a good reporter. You can just be a really good observer. So when I talk, yes, I am. A, I have this background. I am, you know, a Christian, but I'm also like, it's OK. <laughs> it's not it's, it doesn't like infuse into my report. Yeah, but doesn't it blow your mind that so many and and I have you know a world of respect for religion writing, which I you know consume which a you, lot of, but and you do it, some of it sometimes. Yeah, some of it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it blow your mind that so many religion writers are like so fundamentally unreligious? Well, so there are so few of them. There's so few religion reporters, and I. You mean of the seven? Of the five, yeah, five of are the, unreligious, like, right? There just there's so few religion reporters. I blame editors who. I don't know, you know, if if they don't have a religious background or they just don't care about religion. I just I, I feel like there's so few religion reporters to begin with. There are no editors who specialize in it either. My editor is, you know, she generally edits social issues. She doesn't edit right. religion specifically. So we can, you know, we could have a long conversation. Should you have more religion reporters? I say yes. <laughs> but most most 
editors would say, we should have people who write about politics with religion on the side or education with religion on the side. And I would say, no, you need people who specialize this, who know who know this well. But now I imagine everyone's like, wait, religion is important in the past year or so. They're like, so <laughs> I had an editor you. tell me like, oh, your beat is like legit now. I was like, this is why Trump won because you weren't paying attention. <laughs> That's right. You know, so in that sense, like I think after the election, people are like Muslim man. Oh my goodness, we need reporters who understand Muslims. Right. And then, you know, these evangelical supporters of Trump are incredibly influential um, and unofficial and, and weird and hard to understand. And um, and so editors are like, we need people who understand them. And so all of a sudden there is a sense of, you know, there's America we don't know. Right. And, you know, part of that is the rural you know, frustrated economic thing, but I think there is a sense of the people, maybe. As, as as someone so succinctly put it once, who cling to their guns and their guns. Exactly, yes. Those yes. guys. Who but the, don't, don't you they? feel it happens like in spurts? Because I feel like after 9 yes. 11, everyone yes. was like, oh my God, Muslims. That's when I got hired. No, no, that's when I got hired. In 2000, it was like, wait, right. the Catholic Church has all these scandals with, with fiddling and diddling the little kids. 9 11 and the Second Intifada, all in about an 18 month period. And people said, religion matters. We're going to get some reporters. And then by 2000, yeah, no, no. Like, literally, when I graduated, I went to graduate school and I was like, I, I love religion. I want to be religion important. They're like, we're actually cutting every religion bureau in every right. paper except what, two? Like, yeah. I, so I studied religion undergrad and graduate school. And it wasn't until I got to graduate school that I realized that Duke had basically been a place where like people thought religion was important, mm-hmm. right? It mm-hmm. was founded as a Methodist school, obviously not really su- super denominational anymore. But then I got to NYU and it was a very like critical, let's look at why people, like why people are so weird and like religion. And, and how I, can we cure them? No, it? and so and so I almost realized oh, I actually was someplace that valued religion and that's the, that influenced everything I learned. And so I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if that affects you as a reporter, like this idea that religion is important needs yeah. to be in your in your mind, really. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I think that a lot of editors think about religion coverage as similar to other beats where you're covering institutions. We need to cover the Catholic Church. We need to cover Pope Francis. We have these individuals and institutions. Whereas I like to think about it as religion integrating into everyday life, whether it's family or business or education. So the, these religion and politics stories. Um, and, and I think because I have this faith background, it's so integrated into my own life that I think it's easy to, to find the other stories as opposed to seeing it as a separate thing to like go cover. So what's the big story right now? Is it evangelicals <laughs> and their inexplicable love affair with Trump? Is it, what is it? Yeah, I mean, there are tons of them. I would say in this moment, in October, the Protestant Reformation 500th anniversary is October 31st, <laughs> Halloween. Things our listeners didn't know. Right. <laughs> Things so, our listeners were not on top of. Well, so, so what are you going as this Halloween? What am I going as? Yeah. No, actually, so I- Are you going I, as I like up, Martin Luther? Or? I mean, I, I grew up in sort of an odd family and we instead of Halloween, we weren't allowed to do Halloween. Never, have, I've never been trick-or-treating. We had Reformation Day parties. We didn't go as anything, but we would like go and have these parties. Wait, is that was that a your was that a Pulliam family thing, or so is that an evangelical subculture I'm learning, thing? I'm learning that some Lutheran families do this too. I didn't grow. I grew up Presbyterian, so I didn't grow up Lutheran. But I think it's these people who have like very strong, deep feelings about the Reformation, about uh, Martin Luther. How do about, you do? How do you do a Reformation party? Do you dress like John so Calvin? So my and, church and would, honestly, my th- my church would just throw like a fun party for kids. It wasn't there wasn't like. <laughs> Do you get to nail stuff to the door? Yeah, I was like, gonna say, I mean, was it like the first kid to get to 95 in that. some game? I, I think it was an out for parents who were like, we don't want to do trick-or-treating. Can we do something else? Let's just throw the kids in the church basement and let them play. I'd like to say, and there are Orthodox Jews who don't do Halloween either. I was just either. about to say, and we, I have should, to say we should band together. I'm going to say this to all of the frummy Jews and all the evangelicals who don't let their kids do Halloween. Equal opportunity disdain for me. Come on. America, this is not a religious holiday. This is just a fun holiday. There's not a kid in the history of the universe who's been drawn to Satanism Mark, you're missing from the Halloween. Op- just let the kids you're have an, an American the, holiday. You're missing the opportunity here. The point here is that the evangelicals and the Orthodox could now band together to That's celebrate true. Reformation. They, they banded together. Last time they banded together. Last time they banded together, we got a president, Liel. That's that's kind of true. But think about like the merchandise. <laughs> think about the marketing opportunities. <laughs> the Hallmark Reformation Day cards. So, I mean, one of the things you hear from a lot of, um, from some religion reporters, especially the two or three others who are evangelical, right? And you and I know who they are, yeah. is that newsrooms hate religion and everybody is hyper-secular and the hostility runs deep. And has that been your experience at no, the Washington Post? No, I don't Post? think that's fair. I I think there's a strangeness to evangelicals and maybe, you know, rightly so. But um, I think there's a lot of like lack of understanding, which is which I would say is generally fine, except that these people make up 
a quarter of our country. They dominate certain cities like Colorado Springs and Nashville and Grand Rapids. And you need reporters who understand this subculture um, because it's a it's a really strong subculture and they obviously influence elections. So you need people who get them, whether they're evangelical or not. I would say in the in- internal newsroom, you have, I mean... You know, you have a lot of diversity. You have racial diversity, gender diversity. You're just, you're not going to like go find your, you don't go to the newsroom to find your people, right? That's not the point. Um, The point is to be able to, you know, explain a group of people. And for me, it's not just evangelicals. It's Muslims, it's Catholics, it's Jews. But um, I feel like this is a particular subgroup that I I tend to like understand slightly more than most people. Are you the most religious person in the newsroom? No. I mean... Someone, no, Marty I, this Baron is, sacrifices a goat every <laughs> Wednesday afternoon. He's no, Santeria, like hardcore. No, that is not true. People know that, not but true. it's fact, right? David Fernhold is a Zoroastrian, actually. <laughs> well, so someone posted in a Slack channel, um, the lactation room. Like they didn't, they needed a place to go pray. I think they were they used it, the lactation room. Mm-hmm. So, like that is something that I'm like. I have respect for that because you got to go find. So, the, sorry for context. The Washington Post newsroom is full of glass, like glass offices, glass. It's very transparent, right? I think it's meta, but um, there are very few closed off spaces. Like if you need to go cry, there's no place. Sorry, you're going to do it in the open. Um, so the lactation room is one of the rooms. So um, it's one of the few rooms that with with so, privacy. Yeah, so if you need to go pray, if you're Muslim or Baha'i or something, you know, where you go pray. So to that end, I'm like, I have respect for other differences that aren't my own. Um, and, and in general, I, I think people love like my, my colleague, um, Julie Zosmer, mm-hmm. this isn't religion but she she makes balloon like balloon animals and balloon she's like a balloonist and she makes balloons <laughs> for everybody amazing you know and people love that people love like just sort of quirky exotic like some people are Baha'i some people make <laughs> right. balloon animals right. Right. Exactly. There's probably people balloons. listening to us right now in Kansas being like yep yep that's why they lost I so this is a so I was on maternity That's leave right. during the election last year so I wasn't doing reporting during the campaign but my in laws and my parents both were like oh yeah everyone we know is voting for Trump like my parents are in Indiana Mike Pence country I wasn't surprised by that my in laws are in Wisconsin and when they said their mega church pastor endorsed Trump from the pulpit I was like that's interesting that's weird. Like, well, Clinton's going to win because that's what the media said, you know? So if I, I feel like if we had more people spread out around the country who understood these communities, maybe we wouldn't more, be sh- so shocked. More vous religion reporters. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. For example. Exactly. So enough of, of Trump and us in this and, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. right. Enough of Trump. Let's talk about the Jews. Um, growing up uh-huh. as a um, religious Presbyterian, uh-huh. what did you think of the Jews? I don't know if I consciously like knew who they were in that. So, so, uh, the stereotype is that evangelicals love Jews because of Israel. My, I didn't grow up in that kind of church. I didn't grow up in that kind of family. I remember asking my dad about the Holocaust. I remember asking a lot of questions about people who are Jewish, but it wasn't, I, so now I know other families that have a different upbringing, but it wasn't like a thing either way. It really wasn't until I moved to New York, like five years ago where I was like, Hmm, I oh, should wow. I should uh, learn a little bit more about this. <laughs> I should report on these guys. <laughs> well, so Figure before my context, before I was at the Post, I was at Religious Publication Christianity Today. So I wasn't when I, when I've been a religion reporter, but I focus more on Christianity. So more recently, obviously, I do sort of multi faith, all faith, right? But. But it wasn't so. So we moved to New York. We moved to the Upper West Side, next to (laughs) (laughs) next daycare. Um, Did you know what you were doing? Did you like? So then I moved to Salt Lake City, and there were all these people who didn't drink soda. (laughs) It was the weirdest thing. I mean, yes and no. I think I was just like, it's a nice neighborhood. New York is, you know, and it was close to where I was working at the time too. So it wasn't just a random neighborhood. But, um, but I, but yeah, I, I was learning. Uh, a lot about obviously um, the holidays and <laughs> like my our doorman asked my husband when to light the menorah. He was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know? So, I was like, but you live here, right? Right. Uh, so we have two more questions for you. The first is, what's your favorite story you've written? If people want to go get a dose of Sarah Pullion Bailey, what should they read? So I just went to Brazil. Um, and I wrote about Pentecostalism there, which is sort of charismatic, more emotional Christianity, um, very focused on health and wealth gospel. So how money integrates with these churches and, and these pastors 
you know, give really strong pitches for give money to the church and God will bless you. Um, and that story should be coming out in the next week or two. Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. And then we always give the Gentile of the Week an opportunity to ask us a question. Like, do, what can we, as your pan- panel of Jewish I, experts... By the way, I listen to your show, like, a lot. So oh, thank I, you. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Um, so I was prepared for this question. Okay. So I have an 18-month-old, and I'm thinking she's, like, entering into terrible twos soon, and we're thinking about discipline. How are we going to do this? Um, so... Anyway, I'm curious, like with Jewish culture and traditions, like, are there any Jewish parenting tips that you yeah, can guilt, offer? Yeah, guilt. A whole lot of guilt. Be like, that's okay. Awesome. You could throw a tantrum. Awesome. Is that, I'll just sit here alone is that in your, the dark. Is that your serious answer? No. What's your serious answer? I don't know that I have a serious answer. I don't know that I'm ready Mark to comment has an answer. On, on parenting. Okay. I only have two kids. You have four. You go. All right. Well, <laughs> the first thing I'll say is this is a really nice chance for me to give a, a, a shout out to a great book, which is there's actually a book about this. Um, well, there's a couple. There's Marjorie Ingalls' book, Mamala Knows Best, great which book. is a great, great book. And and that's more, I think, for sort of the whole journey of parenting. But for younger kids up through, you know, for sort of the first half of the childhood journey, um, The Blessing of the Skinned Knee by Wendy Mogul is uh, kind of like a classic. Like if you're a Jew and you're having kids, somebody will give you a copy of that. And it's basically about self-sufficiency. It basically, actually both of the books, Marjorie Ingalls and Wendy Mogles make the argument, I think, that Jewish parenting historically has been about like letting your kids be self-sufficient and giving them freedom. It's sort of anti-helicopter parenting. But but the other thing I just want to add is um, when I think about my own upbringing, which was not highly religious, like we, we knew Jewish holidays and we did them and it was definitely you know, Jewishly proud, but, but I had cousins who were more religious and people who were less religious. If I think about the, and now I know a billion Jews from, you know, the work we do. What if I think about the common thread, it's that with some exceptions, it is true what the linguist Deborah Tannen says, which is that not only do Jews interrupt each other more, um, (laughs) but I think they let their children interrupt them more. And Mm. I think the times when I feel most culturally alienated from the Goyim, to use the, Mm -hmm. the term of art, is when I'm in one of those households where a parent where a child speaks and then a parent speaks and the child stays silent until mm. the, like no, that whole that whole thing so of like it makes me uncomfortable right. yeah, just hearing about it just nothing, listening to it nothing oh. is more Christian in a way that makes you think and I'm being totally blunt here that makes yeah. you think like then polytest that person's not going to get to Harvard uh-huh. <laughs> then that sort of polytest that doesn't allow for like real genuine give a take among equals between children and parents mm. and look if all else fails just just you know just bring up the Holocaust yeah I was just going like, to say that you want ice cream you know who else wanted food children in Auschwitz it's, right. And well, you're going to get like, a B plus. Ah! The children in Auschwitz would have liked the chance to get a B plus. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, we will, but we'll, you know, as your kid gets older, you can come back and we'll dispense. She's, she's leaving the Upper West Side, but <laughs> <laughs> she's moving to Kansas. Sarah Pullian Bailey, thank you so much for being our Gentile of the Week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Everyone should get your Washington Post subscription. You should pay for it, get past the paywall, mm-hmm. and read Sarah Bailey's piece on Pentecostalism in Brazil. Because you, I see a light. a century 73 like you some strange religion some newsletter subscribers this week we welcome to our newsletter service the law firm of Robert England Ben Goldberg Emily Bialois Frank Yellen Edward Rustin and Dr Buck Rosenberg. First of all, isn't Robert England the guy who played Freddy Krueger? Yes. <laughs> is, is he now it's a spelled, listener? It's spelled differently, but if, yeah, he if is. If it's you, dude, we love you. <laughs> we love you. Uh, Dr. Buck Rosenberg. Dr. Buck Clifford Rosenberg. Take it away. Um, <laughs> so he originally is from the 25th century. <laughs> he uh, is a, a bitter foe of Emperor Ming, right? I actually thought it was the original name of Buck Rogers, didn't he? Is that, that's who he is, oh, I'm right? I'm confusing with Flash Gordon, I think. Anyway, it was anyway, Buck. Space Avenger. Yeah, when yeah. Buck when when Buck Rosenberg decided he wanted to to zoom into the 25th century, he changed his name to to Buck Rogers, but it was really Buck. Buck it's Buck. Doctor Buck Rosenberg. Rosenberg. <laughs> and this is the ologist. <laughs> In space. in space. He's actually doing my surgery on Friday. <laughs> he, he, ear, nose, and throat doctor. In space. The newsletter is not the regular tablet newsletter. Oh, no, no. no. Oh, no, no. This one is 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 written by Scrivener Liel Leibowitz uh, with help from you. To get it, you want to sign up on our website or send an email asking for it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Uh, you can join us on our new Facebook group. If you go to the tablet Facebook page and click groups, you can join us. And now we're cr- 
crowdsourcing some of the newsletter. We might have questions for you and include your oh, answers. Oh, we will. Oh, we will. So get that newsletter. Hey, it's getting toward um, the end of the year. So if you want to give money that you can get a tax write-off on, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that we are tax deductible. So if you go to tabletmag.com and click on donate, you can then give lots of money and you can put a little note saying, make sure this only goes to unorthodox, which is um, which is what God wants you to do. Um, Mazel tovs. Leo, what do you got this week? I have uh, the English language publication of what I would argue is one of the five greatest Hebrew books written in the modern era. Um, my friend Ruby Namdar's The Ruined House. He's my friend because I read the book in Hebrew and was so floored by it that I wrote him this like very long mesh note and then discovered he's also a wonderful human being. And that translation is glorious and you should all read The Ruined House, one of the most meaningful Jewish novels you'll ever read in your life. How long is it? It's like 700 pages. It's thick. It's a big <laughs> oh, book. I was almost there no, with it's you. It's like 500. All right. But, but you know what? But it, 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 is, it is very, it, it's both intellectual and carnal. It's a fun book. It's a it's a deep book. It it has bits of Talmud like uh, content in the middle. Right. I don't want to ruin any of the surprise. The ruined it's house. Great. Stephanie. Speaking of important intellectual pursuits, intellectual and carnal, I think mm-hmm. you said. Um, Taylor Swift's new album. I am like all about it. Oh yeah. This is why we can't have nice things. I'm just like I'm so. I, that's all I got. That's like that's where I'm at. Is to Taylor. Is your namesake. Is to Stephanie, Stephanie Taylor, Taylor Butnick. Swift Butnick. What's her middle name? Is it Stephanie? Stephanie. Because it ought to be. I don't think so. What is her middle name? I don't know. But you know what? She's like the most magical Gentile of all. She was born, she was raised on a Christmas tree farm. That's a real story. <laughs> that is she's, true. She's the Christian. She's in, in the North the Christmas Pole. Fairy. Um, she's amazing. By elves, I love her. By elves and reindeer. So yes, my namesake, Taylor Swift. Uh, I have two Mazel Tovs. Uh, first of all, to our guest today, our Jew of the Week, uh, Eddie Portnoy who, uh, because the book is amazing, I want to reiterate how, and, and how appropriate a Hanukkah gift the book Bad Rabbi is. But also he has uh, an event coming up, a book signing with Tablet's own Alana Newhouse. It'll be on Monday, November 20th at 7 p.m. at YIVO, which is at 15 West 16th Street. Uh, it's with Alana and with Luke Sant, the writer. So a mazel tov to Eddie again. And then to our listener, Andrew Rowan, who finally mikvah eyes. He dipped. He is a convert. He posted his his conversion documents, his Bezdin and his mikvah on, on the Unorthodox Facebook page for like all almost thousand of the community now on the Facebook community. And everyone's just cheering him and on. And we're all cheering him on. And it's like Andrew, and he's been a letter writer and he's a listener. And but Andrew, you, you know what they say about so conversions? Picks or it didn't happen. <laughs> mikvah picks. Mick picks. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Follow Stephanie Taylor Butnick on Instagram at sbutnick. Join our Facebook group. Our show is produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin with help from Julia Frakes. We don't say enough about the fine work that our producers do. So at some point, we're going to talk more about just how great Alyssa and Shira and Julia are. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah A. Levinson. We don't know what the A stands for, but guesses are welcome. Our music is by Golem. Rabbinic supervision this week by our in-house rabbi, Andy Sugarman. Um, if you think your rabbi should be a rabbi of the week, I don't know, write to me at Moppenheimer at Tablet Mag. Kosher Slaughtering by Jacob Cinnamon Murphy. He, in fact, has raised chickens from being weak old chicks in the spring, and he just murdered them all. So he, in fact, is a kosher slaughterer. Um, we recorded Argo Studios, which is thinking of getting into the Alabama Senate race as a write-in candidate, and we're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. Shalom, friends.